Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. In this episode, Dan and Adrian and I dive into the third installment of our Killing Frustration as a Founder series. This is the third step or third installment in the process, and it is double click. In this episode, we talk about what it means to double click, taking a closer look at the actual breakdown and the frustration. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Here we go. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. Today we're talking about double clicking. Yeah. What the what? What are we double clicking on? Anything that's worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> anything that's anything we don't want to look at. Let's double click that. Yeah. Yes. There we go. That's the thing that's we least. Well, you, it's, you know, it's an old alch in alchemy. It's a. It's a. It's like a principle. The thing you least want to look at, look at first. There you go. I like that. That's actually where I started a coaching call today with a client. I just said, all right, well, it's June 18th, 2020. We only get one of these. So what type of conversation would make this hour worth it? This hour will never happen again. And I said, so what you, th you think about? What, how are you going to make this most worth it? And I paused for a second. I said, a great way to look is what do you not want to talk about right now? And, and he and he not surprisingly said i haven't thought about that <laughs> like, yeah i've never tried yeah. to stop thinking about that I, I haven't wanted to look at that yeah no thanks <laughs> i had a very very similar coaching call this morning actually uh we w there was a direction that the client wanted to go for sure they had that in mind i was willing to go but i just said hey i just noticed this other thing that in your language that I don't think we're really looking at, it's there if you want to go. It's if not, we can go your direction. And uh, he jumped in, full bore. He was ready. He still he wanted to ride the elephant. Yeah, he wanted to ride the elephant. Well, he'll ride the elephant in in real time in his business. We yeah. we just we looked at the elephant real yeah. close. Clicked into it. We yeah. double clicked into it. Yeah, before you climb on that sucker, you want to know what it is first. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we're talking specifically around frustrations for founders, business owners, uh, leaders in this conversation. Um, what, you know, as we start to think about this, uh, what I would encourage listeners to do is to think about the conversations you're avoiding right now. In your business, in your marriage, in your parenthood, whatever, what are those conversations that you least want to have right now? Think about that for just a second, because that will set you up real nice for the context of this conversation, and we can get some some real work done. So um, when we talk about double clip clicking, there is um, something, Dan, that I hear you say often is that the, that the machine is producing the results that it, is, it was built to produce. Or I'm not. I'm not doing it justice. The designed to produce the results it's getting. There we go. Say it again. One more time. I was talking over you. The system is designed to produce the results it's getting. There we go. Right. Even you know, and, and how you know that is you keep getting them. <laughs> right? If it keeps coming back, it's like a boomerang. You got it, and, and you know, you're telling yourself you don't want it, but it keeps coming back. So, 
the next step is you let's just acknowledge you want it because it's here. It keeps mm -hmm. coming back, right? And that starts, and that's that's always fun because we must have had a very similar coaching call. I had a call to gate with a guy who's really a great guy, and he and his wife are up against it pretty hard, and they're in business together. And you know, she doesn't want to live with him. She doesn't want him in the business, and and um, kept you know he's saying this happens all the time. It goes back. I go, then let's just talk about how, which, you know, you must want it. Oh, no, 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 I don't want it. I said, well, do you notice that, that this is the second time we've talked about it? He goes, oh, I've been talking about this for three years. I go, and you're saying you don't want it? And he goes, oh, oh. I said, you ever notice anything you really don't want? You don't have. That's one thing you know. I mean, if you want to get rid of something, you can. I mean, you may not have exactly what you want, but what you don't want, you can get out. Right. So if you keep what you say you don't want, then there must be something about it that you want more than what it's going to cost you to get rid of it. And so let's look at that. That's what double clicking is. Let's click down into the aspects of what you say you don't want that you haven't looked at, which are the aspects, which are the things you want or you get from the things you say you don't want that don't go away. Yeah. Or you if, I'm, if I'm searching for other analogies, I'm thinking about, it's like keep planting new plants in really toxic soil. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I would think about a conversation. I just got, I've been in, I've been, anyway, we're in a really great conversation among some powerful parties. And the tendency is to solve issues that aren't fully understood, right? They want to get to solutions so quickly to avoid looking at the complexity of the context you know so it's kind of like you know it's like oh the the plants won't grow well let's just put some new plants in there yeah it, it it's a soil issue a lot of times like in an organization it's a soil issue it's the it's the environment of what's happening or not happening what's talked about what's not talked about what are the rules what are the the, the lack of rules all this this environmental issues we call it context environmental issues and we want to keep throwing a new solution in a really crappy environment, um, you could, you could, you know, throw a, a million goldfish in salt water. They will not live. Well, it's a great point because usually, I know like this client I was talking to today, but we can take this, you can take this out to almost any conversation that doesn't get resolved. A situation where the results keep turning out the way you say you don't want them. You probably don't understand the problem. The problem is more complex than what we want to see, but we don't want to get into it because the problem makes us feel bad. We get emotional over the problem. And so we want to relieve the emotions of what we don't like. We resist the problem instead of going, wait a minute, let's really look at this problem in, in ways we never have, which means we're willing to look into those areas that we resist the most, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, that whole, that whole saying by Elizabeth Gilbert, that I think it's her, says that, no, Anne Lamott, that, that life is unforgivingly complex, right? And, and so I think we've seen, we're seeing that on the greater societal level, that the issues we're dealing with are far more complex than simple political slogans, right? And the same thing's true at, in the, at the corporate level and at the personal level. If something is nagging and reoccurring, and I have a chronic complaint about it, it's probably much more complex than, I'm probably not, I don't know what the problem really is. 
-hmm. because if I did, I'd solve it. And yet I'm telling myself, I know what the problem is. And I keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, or I do different things the same way, expecting different results. And I've got the same thing over again. I, th I think also, um, what keeps us from double clicking into the problem or, or investigating the problem, at least for me personally, is that I make up that I'm wrong, bad or broken if, if there is a problem. And I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at where I'm wrong, yeah. bad or broken. I just want to, I just want to pretend like, Oh, let's, let's, let's have another go at it. Like, or well, that's Yeah. It's shame. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and think about it. If you have a team and you let them know that it's not okay that we have this problem. And when they want to, and you start to talk about it and they want to bring something up that you don't like, or you don't think is worth looking at, you'll tell them not to talk about it. You'll shame them out of it. Right. And they'll know, Oh, we don't, that's off limits, but that <laughs> might be the very thing. The thing you least want to talk about is probably the thing that needs to be talked about to find like, like you look deeper into the problem because the thing is that nine-tenths of the problem is framing it. Any physicist will tell you that, how you frame the problem. And then as you look into the problem to understand it, the more you can get to the details, the forensics of it, the, the solution will begin to emerge. It actually comes out of the problem. The obstacle is the way. But you're probably going to have to look into the parts of the problem that are frightening, offensive, you know, frightening and offensive because you may not be able to control them or you may not be able to get what you want immediately, right? It, it, it's going to hurt. It's, it, it, things often have to get worse before they get better. And it, But if I think they're going to immediately get better and they get worse, and then I'm going to think something else is wrong, like, oh, it's getting worse. Well, it really, any problem, any solution usually starts with a downward spiral because you have to deconstruct the way you think it is so that you can get to the way that it is. And that's the getting worse part. Yeah. yeah. And, and that means I'm going to have to probably question some of a lot of what I think the problem is and what I think the cause is. Not fun. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been living on and believing that I know what the problem is and yet my solutions aren't resolving it. Yeah. Well, this is all, and for those that are listening now for me for the first time, I just see, I'm seeing connections and reasons why we put this as the third step. Yeah. Is we can get, we can get here if we do the first two steps we've already talked about, which was the first one is hug the cactus, like want, be willing to like want the problem, even though I've been for a long time saying I don't want it. Um, and by wanting the problem, get like realizing that, Putting my arms around the problem actually will is is the way, the only way. Get is to an authentic. I'm sorry. That's okay. It, uh, yeah, I look at it as accepting the resource that the problem is. The yeah. problem is a resource. Yes, yeah, great. That's a great way to put it. So wanting that because I mean, but that would be a shift in paradigm, right? It's no longer the problem; it is a resource. There's a breakdown, uh, and there's something here for us to learn. One way we can be connected. Um, and learn something. And the second, you know, thing I'm just pointing out, if you haven't followed along, go back to listen to these other episodes. 
is the whole get high idea, which is one of the main things for me that I need to do is like when I when I'm having a problem, taking the eye out of it, like, hey, there's a problem here, which is different than I'm having one or or like well, the problem with me. right? Yeah. Separating out, you know, if I'm ashamed of it, I'm just thinking about the conversation I had today with a really great leader, high impact guy, big leader in the in the in the market. One of the most powerful things that on the call says, hey, we've got this issue and I know I've contributed to it. Like his willingness to just say that is like such a like all of a sudden we're in a new conversation. because I don't need to spend time helping him see his proximity to it. He's actually there already. So he's actually was engaged in um, in a productive conversation because he wasn't there trying to cover up like his own contribution. Like he owned it quickly so that all of a sudden we're in a fresh conversation around the issue itself. So anyway, my point is like that, that. If you do those two steps, then you can actually be willing to be authentically to um, now we're here to discover the thing because I want to see it um, and I'm willing to not take it so personally that I'm willing to go deeper into it. Yeah, I can. And so now I can look at the details that are there. Right. Because if there's a moral conversation around this, like you're, oh, this is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong this is broken, this is useless, that kind of thing. You're going to, who wants to get close to that? Right. The, the idea of, of the inventor or the innovator or the scientist keeps keeps coming up. Like it's this iterative process. And when the problem is wrong, bad, or broken, then we're not willing to dive in and to look at the details of the results, right? But when you think about an uh, an inventor, like Dan, as you were talking about, the problem is the resource. Most of us, I know I don't, I don't have a very like, I don't have like a, I don't tend to have like a very inventive mind. I'm not finding everyday problems and saying, well, what could I invent to, to, fix this problem or make this problem go away for people in their everyday lives. That's just not really how I think in that context. Um, but I think of the people that do and all of these problems that we experience everyday life is the resource or the opportunity. It is that it's like, let me get at this thing. Let me look at every detail. Let me try something. Let me evaluate what the results of that trying was. And so this idea just like, being an inventor and an innovator, a scientist of business and people and teams is a really interesting idea to me to put that hat on and say, well, let's, you know, then you can start to evaluate evidence neutrally and um, invite. Oh, from, the, from the perspective of what you want to accomplish, right? I mean, yeah, it, you're, you're certainly depersonalizing it and you're, if you will, you know, so much of our relationship with life is about protecting us from its the in, inconvenient truth that we're all we're, none of us are getting out alive, and so you know that's just a natural human thing to do. So naturally, when something looks like it's threatening what we care about, we want to make it better quickly. We want to we want to mitigate the sense of insecurity and angst that comes along with understanding the problem. Because right? I'm, it takes. I'm thinking about my son, who's been wrapped in a project for 11 years, and his willingness to suspend his angst to really understand, like, oh, I'm going to fail. Oh, I'm going to fail. Forget it. What? What do I really have here? 
and people are waiting for it and investors are upset. No, but what's really the problem here? What do, what, what do I, what, what's it going to take and how do I get at it? And that a lot of times it, it just, it puts so much at stake. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to be dominated by the vision of completing it, which means of having it turn out that I'm willing to be dominated by the problem in a way that it becomes a resource. And there's so often I have so many rackets to pull myself back so I can preserve a part of myself so I don't have to be dominated. But it might require all of me to solve the issue, to to understand and then get into the issue. There's nothing I can preserve. If, If I preserve myself, that may cut. I may not see what's wanted and needed. Hmm. And the, 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 the philosopher Kierkegaard calls it the leap of faith, is that when you make the leap, all of you has to go. You can't leave some of you on the cliff just in case. Like, you know, you put a little rope on the cliff and you got to tie, hey, you, you're going to jump across, but the <laughs> it's not going to work. You got to go all the way, man. You got to be all the way in. And, and so and, and we as humans, we have a tendency to think, you know, to not have faith enough to make that leap. So we tend to leave a little bit of us behind to preserve ourselves so that we can make it through. Like there's going to be some guy on a white horse, some knight on a white horse going to come over finally and save us. And that, and that's really disappointing. Right. So how willing am I? I mean, you think about some of the great inventors like Nikola Tesla and, you know, I was thinking about Thomas Edison after failing 10,000 times, the press thought he'd be ready to quit. And he's like, what, are you kidding me? I'm 10,000 steps closer. That takes a lot of chutzpah, a lot of sense of confidence that, hey, look, I, we're going to find it. We, we, every step, we've learned something new, and that's what keeps me going. And I, that's, I think that takes a special relationship with oneself and then the willingness to invite others into that relationship. Yeah. And that, that's... And, and being willing to notice who's willing to come in that way and let allow themselves to be dominated by it and yeah. who's not. And then really clear that out because you, in big problems and problems that are pernicious, it requires that kind of commitment that put your face in there and keep sniffing around and get excited about each inch you can take. Right. Hmm. So as a founder or a leader, you're noticing that the system is producing results that you say you don't want. And you come to terms with the idea that possibly you created a system that is creating these results. Well, you did. I mean, it's- You designed it. You designed it, yeah. Wittingly or unwittingly, probably unwittingly. Yeah. Yeah. So our our invitation is to, hey, let's take a closer look at this thing let's find out where the design is producing the results that you say you don't want. Yeah. Let's just look at what's going on. Right. Yeah. What? I mean, I, I, I've been reading this book that um, I've finished. It's really good that one of our clients, Gordon referred it. It's called radical uncertainty. And he makes a really powerful, powerful distinction in it. He says, you know, he opens the book with this question. How is it we can launch a rocket from Earth and aim it at a very specific spot on the planet Mercury, and six and a half years later, it lands exactly on that spot? But we cannot predict the what's going to happen 
with the economy or politically. We cannot predict, no matter what kind of models we run, a pandemic, which we found, you know, things of that nature. What is the difference? Like, why is that? And he said, it was really interesting, kind of goes back to our first part of this conversation, is the way, it's the way we're framing the problem. You can't take a probabilistic, a probabilistic model only works if all the variables or the major variables are static, you can count on them. So shooting a, a rocket at Mercury requires uh, that the reason we're good at it because we know the planets are moving at a certain rate of speed. We, you know, there's all these calculations of the constants we know are there, so we can land that rocket six and a half years later. But now you turn and look at look at the problems we have socially with racism and 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 uh, and marginalizing and you know all the different things that, and and prejudice and uh, you know on all sides and the unpredictability of the political system and the monetary system and then you look at or you look at the pandemic probabilistic com, probabilistic models or reasoning fail us drastically every time he says because you can't, there aren't there, there aren't the ver there, there are too many variables. There's no con the constants aren't you don't have enough constants to define it as a problem. So we're not solving a problem. We're actually working on a mystery, and the only way you can work on a mystery is you you can't use a probabilistic nature or approach. You have to use you have to actually ask what's going on here. That's what he says. You have to uh, you have to get connected with the current reality in a really intimate way. And that in the mystery, while you may not solve why it's that way, you can find ways to have it work well and contribute to what you want to have turn out. But you have to get connected to it and it's changing nature. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, as, it, as it relates to just a conversation, I've had lots of conversations today. That this 100% that connects to one of my conversations today around we're going to go and do leadership training with a team. And um, what is going on here? I mean, there's lots of ways to answer that question, right? And there are lots of answers to that question. There are objective answers. There are subjective answers. Yeah, right on. Um, you're right. And, and, and all of, I mean, all of which, I mean, there's some which are true and then all of which are real meaning people's experienced, they think that their experience is what's true. It is definitely what's real for them. Yes, right on. And, you know, and, and I, I need to pay attention to what I think is true, but is actually only real. Because um, there's lots of, I mean, reality shifts all the time. We know that based on what I had for lunch, based on how much sleep I got, based on my attitude about myself, based on what news channel oh, I'm watching. My wife's been to me today and how much I like that or don't like That's that. right. That's right. You know, so uh, to the point of the complexity, I'm thinking about as we are, what would make us willing to double click? Right. What would make us willing to? Because um, this is going to take some work and some work we've previously been unwilling to do. Right. So what can generate that shift in willingness? Um, and usually it is. Uh, connecting to the pain that's involved with the breakdown. Yeah, if it continues, if what it continues. future is coming down the pipe? That's right. And really connecting to that, like, what will I have if we can if we continue down this path? What will we have? What will I have? What will you have? What kind of future will we be dealing with? What 
what kind of problems will we have then in yeah. a week, a month, six months? That's right. I mean, and part of, I think, it seems mysterious and things, people seem very far apart in the middle of a breakdown. They're not. Um, they're, they're, they're apart in their justification about why the breakdown's happening and whose fault it is and all that. But they're not too far apart in their experience. Their experience is this sucks. I don't want this. Nobody wants it. I wish this wasn't happening. And that, for a lot of people that are listening, you think about where do you begin? Where you begin is, hey, what's happening and how much does it suck for all of us? Because we've all, you, there usually there's a shared experience of not wanting to be here. Yeah. And, 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 describe it. And that's a place to connect. That is a place to connect. That's right. I mean, you may not like, like you and I can have exactly opposite opinions about what we should do or what the cause is, et cetera. But we both can connect on, we don't like this. Right. It sucks. And I, that I, common ground, I mean, my wife and I, in our, our 40th anniversary is this month coming up, July 6th, and 45 years together, and I'm amazed. But so many times that has been the connection where we have very different views about how to deal with something, very different views about what we think the problems are, but the one thing we've been able to connect on and what we kind of start laughing at is we both think it sucks and we don't want it that way. And that brings us shoulder to shoulder. Even then we become much more willing to hear each other's points of view, perspectives, assertions, assessments, and, and then look at what's happening in relationship to that. That's right. And because we we're sharing that. And if we can, that way we're shoulder to shoulder because it sucks for both of us. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that that's that's uh, I bring that out as almost a, as a tactical point as well, because if you're looking for a way in, um, you know, to decide to stop making an enemy out of somebody and decide and wonder for a second about what, what do we have in common together? And usually the pain that's happening right now is common. The reasons why it's here, thoughts about why it's here, that might not be as common. But the fact that we don't like it and we could probably if we entertain the idea of the future, like if this doesn't. If we don't solve for this, if we don't find a mutually beneficial solution, let's talk for a second about how bad it's going to get. And then we're all of a sudden really connected. Yeah, we probably we probably agree on where this is going. Right. Or, or, yeah. Or hopefully, because while I mean, we may just be able to settle on we both hate it because one of us if one, if one of us thinks, well, you know. Where this is going is going to work out for me because it'll show you you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Right. Good point. I, I, come on. I mean, yeah. Like, like who can ride the elephant the longest? Yeah. Like, well, they're not, we're not riding the elephant then. Right. 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 Who can we're ride the, uh, with the elephant? Tra who, who gets trampled first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like now we're playing, you know, it's like, I'm willing to be so right. I'm willing to trash. Like, are we better together or apart? If we think we're better apart, then I'm going to let the thing fall apart. If I think, if one of us thinks we're better apart, then it's coming apart. Right. And, it, but if we can see that we're better together, which that's why we want to say, okay, are we better together? Are we better apart? Yeah. Because if we can handle that, then we can talk about, okay, where are we headed? And is that where we want to go? If we stay in this place, what's coming down the pipe? Is that what we really want? Yeah. I don't want that. Do you? Right? If we're better together, we certainly, I don't think we want that. But if we're not better together, let's talk about how we part. 
Mm-hmm. Right, because at least you can, because that can get honed down. The tendency is that we don't tend to, we don't, as you said, Adrian, I love it, find that common ground of, hey, this sucks for both of us. If we can get there, right. the conversation can start, but we have a tendency not even to get there. No. Both of us are angry and upset because we don't like it. We don't, we don't stop and have that conversation. You're really good at that, Adrian. I, you've helped me a few times with that. Like, hey, look, this sucks for both of us. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay. You're not the enemy. You just have a different point of view. Yeah. He's, he's kind of the enemy. Only when it's convenient for me, he's the enemy. When I need I'm a the, scapegoat, I send him out in the desert and shoot him. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the apparition. I'm the apparition you know, of the enemy. Let's talk about intention for a second because I think this is a great um, topic. And Adrian, in, in the course that we're about to uh, release, the Killing fi- Frustration in Five Days for Founders, uh, you talk about in this section, you talk about intention and we're all intentional beings. Yep. Um, whatever, whatever we're doing, we have some intention, whether it's, um, whether it's intentional or not, <laughs> we have an intention. Neuroscientifically, everything's intentional, right? Yeah. The body is, the brain is intentional and the intention is stay alive. Yeah. 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 So from that perspective, I think it's really interesting when we have a system that's producing a, re- a result that we say we don't want, how do we use the knowledge that everything is intentional? Like, how do we apply that and take use that as a tool to double click into the system or the results that we're getting? Like, why, why are we talking about being, wh- why does it matter that we're all intentional beings? Well, p- part of the point here is, Dan, feel free to jump in whenever you want. I mean, so to believe that you're intentional is a risky idea. I mean, it yeah. has risk involved, right? Because it it's it is easier. It's it's uh, and by easier I mean easier for the ego, really, to believe that I'm un- that we're not always intentional. Because then I'm off the hook. Then I got this by default. Right. So if I'm intentional, I'm putting myself on the hook. There's some reason why I have what I want. That's putting myself on the hook. I am the generator of my experience. Now that's a pain in the ass belief system. I know I don't, I mean, even all I, I go as far for myself as like whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm experiencing, I'm generating it. I don't let myself buy into a story that someone else is doing something to me. Why do I do that? Because if I'm, if I believe that I'm generating an experience, I can generate something else. Because mm-hmm. I'm now, I'm in the driver's seat of my own experience in life. Now, not that other things aren't going to happen to me and like there's an earthquake right now. I didn't start that, whatever. All those things are true. But from an experience standpoint, I can, I want to believe that I'm the generator. Um, now, why is that good news? It, it is good news if you want to create a solution. It's really the, the I mean, I, I always say like, Honesty is the first step to any kind of spirituality, like being real, being honest about what's happening. I'm the generator of it is the first thing towards solutioning anything, Um, because otherwise we're going to spend all of our time trying to justify why it's not me. And why it's somebody else. We're going to go to blame and shame. And by shame, usually it's like, oh, this is just how I am. This is what's wrong with me. I've been like this since fifth grade. It happened because that girl broke up with me when I was in 25. And da, da, da. we got all these. Our history then is responsible for how we've been in this moment. Right. That's another way to avoid responsibility. So or it's about credit. Right. Blame, shame and credit. Like, oh, here's what I've been doing. Well, this thing sucks. But look what I've been doing. Or 
like this this sucks and look what you did here's your here's your list of what you did wrong like you can be in those types of competitive nature um those are are we move those away and put another conversation above those if i'm willing to accept that hey i helped generate this i either generated it or i contributed to its generation even if you know me being apathetic was the way to generate it me avoiding was the way to generate it me um you know choosing not to notice right me attacking, me attacking and me at that's right yeah there's a million different ways. Yeah, all, there's all like aggressive ways we could see it. But then even sometimes we let ourselves off the hook or I'm listening to conversations with myself or clients where we want to let ourselves off the hook because of indecision. Like, I didn't say that. Well, what, but hold on, not saying what you knew was true is is you're also responsible for that. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the benefit of deciding we're intentional beings is that we get to have responsibility. That's the first that's the first point. And that's a risky idea. Mm -hmm. um, if if I'm choosing to be that I'm responsible as the leader, if I'm choosing to be responsible, I'm actually modeling other people to be responsible. You're inviting like you're the stand you're taking is that, hey, I'm here to be responsible. And it naturally will disrupt any victimization in the room or passivity in the room, because now you're inviting other people to also put themselves in the hook. You're, you're inviting them to ask of themselves the same questions you're asking of yourself. And you, you can actually stand really there neutrally because I'm already here telling on myself. I'm already here exploring what I did or what I didn't do that I knew I ought to do uh, you know, that, that contributed to this. So you're calling other people to the carpet. If you are trying to solve an issue when with one person there to explore and one person there to avoid, the issue will not be solved. You know, it's funny. I have a little test for people when we get there, for myself and others. Yeah, I, I had one guy tell me, I'd rather die than confront this. I said, well, let's test. Hold your breath and tell me how it goes. <laughs> and as soon as he starts breathing, I go, see, you'd rather deal with this than die. <laughs> and that works every time. That's great. So when you tell yourself, like I, I just, you know, that, and that's what I, I find myself doing because I, I want to pull out. So it's like saying, I'd rather die than yeah. deal with this. But What's true is I'd rather not die, and right. that dealing with this is probably the the doorway to further life. Yeah, right to to, to new life, but it, it, there's the old life's got to die along the way. So, you know, I'm trying to hold on to the old life, and all that's doing is making this much more painful for me and those attached attached to me. Yeah, and we're going to have the conversation, one way or another. You know, it's the old adage pay now or pay later with penalties and interest. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, part of to keep on your question too, Chad, around intentionality, how do we prove? Let's just say for a second, we played a game called, how do I prove that I'm intentional about something? Well, there are, and Dan alluded to this earlier, there's lots of prices we've been paying for the breakdown. Um, what you were, we're usually really aware of those. Where are those? Yeah, that's usually what you're talking about. That's an easy list to make. That's, that's what's pissing us off. I don't want to pay this price anymore. I see. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. What we haven't done is wonder to ourselves or with another one, our, our team or partner, whoever it is, is wonder why do we like this? What's the benefit of this? What are the payoffs of this? That's the that's the question, because next week we're going to talk all about ownership. And that's the question that sets us up 
to be able to own some of this stuff. Yep. And one of the questions that I love to ask is, why might you like this? Yep. Yeah. And, and, but you really got to get clear about what this is in, in right. every way. And, and if you're resisting it, you, as you hug the cactus, you'll be, you'll want to get close enough to, to, to the cactus to see all the, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the spine, crack, yeah. uh, the pine, you know, all the needles and how it's like, you want to get in and look at the, uh, that's, that's how you know you're hugging it because you're so close to it. You can see the very, you know, complexion of the, of the cactus skin and the needles and everything that's there. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you're at home listening to this and, you know, you did think about a certain breakdown or something you say you don't want at the beginning, as I invited you to at the beginning of this, and then you hear the question, why might you like this breakdown? Why might you like the, the, the results that you're getting? I don't know. I know what my experience has been for myself and my clients of what the, the answer usually is right at first. But uh, the typical answer that I get is, well, I don't. And if you're saying that, if you're at home saying that in your mind, are you guys crazy? Well, I don't like it. I would just say, well, what if you did? No. What would it be? Like, let's just brainstorm. Stupid well, idea time. If you talk to any addict, heroin addict, cocaine addict, they're going to tell you they don't like being an addict. Mm. They don't like it. But they're an addict and they keep going. I know I have that mindset myself. I understand it, but I did like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I got something out of it. I didn't like it and I did like it. Right. I didn't like it and I got something out of it that I'd rather settle for than go after what I said I really wanted. That's more accurately, I think, stated. Right. And, and, you know, if I'm not willing to take responsibility for what I want, there's a price. And the price is, you know, despair and nihilism, which is kind of a small price if you think in the long run or in the short run for the immediate gratification of what I say I don't want. Right? That's the, that's the wrestle. If I'm not willing to take responsibility for it, and I'm going to exist in a despairing situation. Yeah. But the payoffs are, I don't have to take action. I don't have to fail. I'm not going to be, you know, I have a, a story and a reason why I, I failed. Uh, and I don't have, I get myself off the hook. There's so many, you know, uh, I get to be smarter than the other guy. How do you know you were never in that? You never lived my life. How do you know you'd be different, right? There's, there's a million different stories that make me write about that. And that's the, there's big payoffs, immediate payoffs for be playing the victim, even though you might have been victimized. Like we didn't ask for COVID-19, but now we got it. Now what? How am I going to take responsibility in this restricted possibility space to have what I'm committed to turn out? And every business owner, every founder is up against that one way, shape or form. Or they're in, this is why I'm leaving. I don't want to do this anymore. Fair. Or you don't understand what it's like to be me in COVID. And then that's just <laughs> going to justify the, the spiral down. You know, I keep thinking about the founders who want out. Yeah. Who have found themselves in a place that they never dreamt it would be. They had an idea, a brilliant idea, and they put it to the market and the market responded. And then they woke up one day and they have a team 
that they resent and they have a product they don't recognize and uh, you know, all of these things. And it's really easy at that point to use the system as an excuse to leave. Yeah. Rather than just say, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm out. I just don't have it. I'm not going to want to do it anymore. Yeah. Because if I don't want to do it, okay, don't do it. I mean, if you don't want to, but then be ready for the prices of that. <laughs> <laughs> Starting over, we often don't look at what it took to get to where we were. So, yeah. You know, there's so many things to wave, right? And and to think about starting over, we don't want to because we want to just get away from this. So we don't we don't want to stop in our emotionality and say, well, what are we up to now? And if I if I don't go through this, and if I leave, what am I going to face? Not yeah. that you shouldn't. It's not like a one way or the other, but a way the prices because you might you might jump from the pan into the fire. And then you go, whoa, I want to get back in the pan. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, my thing is like, leave or not, I don't care. That's that's not the point. The point is don't use, like, th this is a way that the system being broken could benefit you or, or that the system you produce could benefit you to push you out or push others out. We see that as well. You got an, a, a member of your executive team. You could be using the breakdown in the system to try to push them out, to make them pay for being there in hopes that they will, in hopes that they'll, they'll jet, you know, it, I'm just, I'm just looking at different ways or, or um, things that we've seen of how founders use the, the breakdown in the system to their benefit. Yeah. Or to their yeah, immediate comfort. The, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It may not be to their benefit. Right. Or to the business well, benefit. It is to their psychological benefit. You know, look, when we get all caught up in emotion, we want to come up with this, you know, we come up with oversimplistic answers to make us feel better about detaching from the breakdown. That's right. Rather, you know, we rarely, my first response is rarely do I want to move into the breakdown. I'm all, my first reaction is how do I get out of here? Or, yep. You know, or how do I dominate it? You know, it's like fight or flight, right? Yep. But, and, and so if I can catch that, and come back into my body, get out of my amygdala, you know, don't let the amygdala hijack me. Then I can start asking more discerning questions that are relevant to what I'm really about. And that, you know, if I can't have what I want, if I don't feel good, I can still have a meaningful existence. And that requires aiming, not just reacting, it's responding. It's like, okay, this is what we got. Now, how do we aim at what really matters for us, for me, using what I have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and this brings me back to, you know, you mentioned it, Dan, a pass, uh, in a passing way earlier, but it's worth, it's worth mentioning, again, in an intentional way. You said, you know, a moral construct earlier. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, I when I got a hold of that conversation in my head, it was a game changer. I had no idea how much time I was spending thinking about what's right and what's wrong and what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what the other person should do and shouldn't do. I was like living in this like editorial framework on living instead of actually living. Yeah, shooting on yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think about this context with people and probably why for most people, why they don't enter in. 
or why they won't take stock of what's happening to them in this season of time. I'm thinking about the founder that kicked ass, had a great idea, built a great team, rode the wave, and all of a sudden are now in a moment in the season of time where they don't like it. And they think maybe maybe their team's questioning them and they're saying to themselves, they shouldn't be doing this. Don't they know what I've been through? Can't they see what I've done? This shouldn't be happening. That's right. Or I should be allowed, you know, so many founders, like, you know, uh, as the, as the organization grows, it's actually a very different role to be the head is it's a different role now than it was when they started. And so what's needed for the position is actually beyond what, what their capacity is, sometimes like leadership capacity um, or like learned competency um, and way beyond their interests, but they're so committed to not letting it go that they'll actually, you know, shit the bed if they will. They'll actually like complain their way out instead of owning the reality is like, actually, I don't want this phase. I liked the first phase. I don't like this phase. And I'm now spending all my time being upset about what's not happening out there or in me instead of realizing I'm in a phase that no longer suits my interests. And I'm just I'm, I'm feeling now for those that, that are founders that are holding on for the sake of what they call pride. But actually, they're, they're, they're actually you know, tarnishing legacy by how they are right now because they're they're unwilling to let go. Of how that should be. Of how it should be. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or how the people should be treating them or how they, you know, they ought to be, you know, the, the license they ought to have because they're the founder or whatever. Well, I mean, the, the huge payoff in there, right? We're always yep. right. I'm always right. No matter what happens, it fails. I'm right. It was their yep. fault. It was because of somebody else. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, I can't, if I can't get them to change, then I, I'm going to fail because it's their fault. Yeah. You know, and, and I, the thought just came to my head about like reality is the great equalizer. You know, I'm thinking about, I mean, it's easy to see in COVID situation, like, you know, you can be the rich and famous, you can be the most powerful person in the world um, and you could get COVID. It doesn't matter. Same, like, same, like results on the ground. Um, And I'm just, I'm thinking through all the conversations I've had with founders over the years and their, their own Trump card is don't they know who I am? I was here in the beginning. And that's what they say when they're out, when they're done exploring once wanted and needed. It's not the issue. And, you know, it's just, why do I bring it up? Uh, there, there is some, there's some relief if, if people are willing to just uh, really own what is, own what's there and separate themselves from it and separate even their agenda from what ought to be there, what the other person should be doing how I even, I mean, I don't know, I, uh, for myself, when a silly example this morning, helping my son put together a, an electronic Lego set that's a tank that moves, right? It's cool. Spend, I don't know, 35 minutes on it this morning, and one of the engines won't work, one of the little motors. And I'm putting it, taking apart, putting it together, taking apart, putting it together, taking apart, putting it together so many times, thinking that now I'm trying to be a hero dad guy, and I'm trying to put this thing together, and now I'm judging the manufacturer. Um, and I'm so frustrated that it ought not be this way. And reality is I burnt an extra 30 minutes of hang time with my son now stubbornly trying to make this product from this certain country of which I will not state that it's not working, Adrian. 
and I ought to let it go instead of trying to put the square peg through the round hole. It's just not going to work. I'm wondering yeah. if like, this this happens all the time. Yeah, teams like I'm resisting the conversation I need to have because I shouldn't have to have this conversation. I shouldn't have to have it. And then the time gets wasted about what conversation will happen. What right. would be beneficial? What would be the next step? That's right. That's right. You know, I keep thinking about we, all of this. We've talked uh, in the context of founders um, and uh, presume, presumably somebody who has a lot of influence on the system as a whole. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm wondering also, I know that we have some listeners who are in leadership roles within larger systems that they have less quote unquote influence on a lot of the results that come out. Um, and, and, uh, you know, from my perspective, everything that we've talked about is still applicable, but could we talk just a minute for those leaders who feel like they don't have a lot of, uh, of control or influence on how the system is working. So they could look at it in detail, but may not have the leverage that is needed or feel like they have the leverage that is needed to make the change, to create the outcome that they want. That wasn't yeah. a question. That was a statement. So no, no, let me good. give you a question. I, no, no, it's good. I, I can I can play with that. I was just going to see if Dan wanted to take a swing first. Um, yeah, I think it, first off, you're talking something about something that's extremely complex. Yeah. But I, to answer, the, the only way to unravel the complexity of any situation is to own what, the one I can control, which is me. Yeah. And be aware of what the prices and rewards are and pick my battles in a way that would forward what I most want to have happen. Yeah, I, I would say, and I, I have this conversation, I coach a leader, She's um, she is uh, managing at a high level at Nike, but she's not at the, at the huge, at the big table. And our conversation, well, let me say a broad statement first. Broad statement is don't hide behind the authority you don't have. Yeah. So what most people say, I don't have the, I, you know, that's not my call. It's above my pay grade, which are all hiding spaces, right? Those are all. Um, Translated, I don't want to be dominated by this any more than what I've accepted up until now. Right, right. And, oh, and I mean, also, it's like they don't want the heat. They also don't. I actually would rather hide behind this thing so I don't have to take the heat. And my, my conversation with this leader, and she's wonderful is where my with her is well where do you want to go do you want your boss's job her answer to that is yes well great well act like you have it now like if you you speak to him with respect but also having enough like self-respect and enough self-endowed authority like that hey i can be certain about my own opinion and i can also be wide open to you and respectful but hey here are my thoughts here are my concerns here's what i think's coming i'm with you boss, whoever the boss is, I'm with you. I've got your back, but I want, I don't want to hold anything back from you. Um, and I'm not committed to me being right about it, but I definitely am going to be transparent about it. So here's my view on it. And here's what I think is going to happen if we don't move. Here's my five ideas about how to move. What else am I not seeing? You know, mo we, most people don't take that level of radically transparent and radically open view because it's risky. You're going to stick your neck out. And maybe you might you might authentically, and this happens a ton, be a threat. Be a threat to the authority yeah. figure. 
you know? So yeah, because you don't want to threaten them, you usually don't stick your neck out, but you can actually say that, hey, I've got these ideas about what's happening in that this happened just in, in, in a team meeting or in a conversation with this, this client I'm just talking about, is that the meetings themselves that she's a part of with all of her peers and her boss is running, they're not that energetic, they're not that engaging, the culture at that level isn't what they what they say they want to create below them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So at that level, it's not energetic and engaging and interpersonal and connected and lively and all the things that they that they say that their job is to create below them, which is an interesting conundrum. And she's new to this team, and she's the youngest person on the team by over a decade, right? So she can hide behind being new. She can hide behind being young. She's also female. She's also. Um, uh, Japanese, you know, so anyway, uh, or Korean, Korean, she's also Korean. So anyway, there's like lots of things she can hide behind if she wants to reasons why she can't speak up, but she's, you know, you know, brilliant and bold. And so she's going to go have the conversations. That was our last, last call we had is say, why don't you go have the open conversation with your boss about it and see what he wants and just ask, Hey, when we have these team meetings, what do you want to get out of them? And like co-exploring with the boss about how yeah. to help the boss get what the boss wants, mm-hmm. you know, actually provoke a new conversation naturally. Yeah. How can I help you get what you want? Yeah. Because I'm feeling some frustration, but it's probably because I think I'm wanting maybe what I'm wanting might be distinct from what you want from this time together. So let's talk about it. It's a mm-hmm. way to like respectfully provoke a new conversation if you're like leading up, which is the broadest bucket that um you know uh this these conversations fit into how do we lead up effectively and with respect so when you say don't hide behind the authority you don't have that is like the name of the game of all the ills that are plaguing like corporate like large corporate that's everybody's just hiding behind the 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 authority that they say they don't have yep it's an an excuse to not show up yeah you know it's interesting because we're talking about clicking down, right? Thomas More, I don't know if you know who he is, but he had a quote, he has a quote that, that it's really powerful. It's like, to the soul, most minute details and the most ordinary activities carried out with mindfulness and art have an effect far beyond their apparent significance, their apparent insignificance. And we often think that these little things that we we think they're little, so we don't pay attention to them. But if we, you know, little things like we see going on in, in a, on a team that we don't address because we don't want the trouble of it. We don't want to be bothered with what could possibly come out, right? And that's exactly what needs to happen. It, the, the idea that if you don't take care of the little thing, it becomes a bigger thing. and we have a tendency to pull back because we don't want the trouble, and that, that's the that's the beginning of that's uh, the beginning of the end because you start to make things very ambiguous, and then your, your choices start to work against you. Yeah, what's that quote from Dan? Is that just a quote, or is it a book, or it's from uh, it's from it's, I think Care of the Soul. He has a number of books. Let me just it's. Um, that's oh, all right. We can research it later and put it in a, a link in there. Care of the soul, I believe. A guide yeah. for cultivating depth and sacredness in I everyday I really life. like that quote. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. 
Well, gentlemen. Yeah, I'll just I'll just put this on that as a, maybe a fine point on the other thing is is if you're in a if you're in the middle of a larger context, um, to, the the fight is for concern, right? And the most concerned person is going to, is going to naturally leadership will come out of concern, right? Mm-hmm. So where you find concern for the vision, yeah, concern, right? That's right, that's right, and and, yeah. and, I, and I mean concern for the vision and concern for yourself and concern for your teammates. I mean, it's all multi, you know, multi-directional. Um, so stoke the fires of concern. Now, how you talk about those concerns is really important. How you voice them, because, you know, that how you voice that in a conversation will reveal your motive, your motivation. And if you are just one-sided, if you are about yourself in the conversation, that's going to come out and it's going to create resistance. But if you are about the mission and are for others, I would say like in that order, mission, others, self, I don't need know that it needs to be in that type of priority structure. But if you strategically, you know, communicate them in that way, um, your level of influence and impact is going to increase because that stands out against the survivalist mindset, which is I'm just here for me. I'm just here to do a job. I'm here to look good. I'm here to get my promotion. I'm here to get my pat on the back. If you have, if you let, let yourself like generate concern for the broadest issues in the company and for others, your level of influence will increase. And so if you've not, do it. That concern is the double click, right? Yes. I mean, that is being willing to look into the things that aren't working, even if they're outside of your influence. That's right. And metaphysically, what you aim at, what you're shooting at, the mission, is going to order the hierarchy of your concerns. Because if I'm aiming at having the team win and whatever we said, then I'm going to be concerned about the team in in alignment with what I'm aiming at and my concerns. But if I'm just concerned about myself, what I'm aiming at is too small and it'll become evident because the hierarchy of my concerns will be revealed as we get into the details because I'll be more concerned about the impact it has on me than on the overall vision and the other people on the team, right? And then I can adjust. I can adjust my aim. It's what I'm aiming at. Like a lot of people want to change their way they feel about something or think about it. The only way you can do that is changing your aim. Mm. Yep. Right? And so you know, you know, just real quickly, I just, there's so much signaling that goes on. And in, in corporations and organizations, but I'm a good guy. See, I'm doing this. I'm a, I did that. I'm, and I'm accounting for all the good things I did in the face of a failure. That's just, that, that just tells you what the person's concern is. They're concerned about them getting by, even though the team and the company's failing. Mm-hmm. And that's something to pay attention to because if their aim doesn't rise up, then they're going to end up being a bottleneck or a weight or they're going to, you know, and it's going to come out later on in bigger ways. So paying attention to what people's concerns are tell you a lot of what they're aiming at. But if you want to change the concerns, the aim must change. Yeah. Right? So you don't get caught up in the symptom. That's right. Yeah, I love that. What did you say? Their their concerns tell you what their aim is. What their aim is. My, my concerns, if I'm just concerned, it hits me all the time. I have my grandkids come over and my Families here. Sometimes I just get so selfish. I'm like, oh, I think, what am I aiming at here? Who, oh, how are they going to remember Pops? They remember Pops is a grouch. He didn't want to go out and have a 
water balloon fight. Why? Because he he's old or whatever. You know. I mean, it's that simple. It's those kinds of things, right? Like. Oh my gosh, this is. Yeah, this is hitting really close to home right now. I took the kids last night. I took the kids out. We took Katie and I took the kids out to play some frisbee golf. And Milo was in a trick mood. My little, my little uh, seven-year-old. I love he, he, uh, he, everything was a trick, and everything was, hey, hey, dad, look, hey, dad, watch. And I remember I was saying to Katie over and over again, man, why will he? Can he just stop asking me to look at the and stop, watch these things? Stop being so concerned with how, me, how much he loves me. Would you stop that? Right, right. And I'm just now I'm just reeling like those that concern and me expressing that concern and having that complaint is so it's straight, it points straight to what my aim was. Yeah, yeah. it happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh god, what did I just say? Yep, I know. Uh, wow. Re-aim, re-aim. Re-aim. You, know, you may not like it, but it'll be meaningful, right? The yeah. whole point is that you like it and feel good about it all the time, but but pretty soon that builds and the meaning goes deeper and deeper, right? Yeah. Well, and I know, I mean, it takes it takes humility to walk through this process we're talking about. It takes humility to mm -hmm. actually salvage a moment. I mean, even, yeah. you know, this morning, this morning, Allie, my girlfriend was up on Good Morning America this morning at 6.30. No, no, 6.30. She needed help getting up at 5.30. So I got up at 5.30, went down, had had to have coffee with her. Now, when I was down having coffee, I was watching a Trevor Noah clip. And she and later she was saying, looks like you had coffee with Trevor Noah this morning and not me. Now, this... Beware. <laughs> this conversation provoked a lot of feelings for me. And I'm sitting there in my pride and I'm realizing why I'm asking myself, why was I there? Was I there to be with her or was I there to look like I was with her? Based on results, I was there to look like I was with her. No pants. The man is naked in the room. I know, man. And then it's like, okay, now do I want to make her wrong about her comment? No, no, no. Relax. There's something missing, man. So anyway, all this stuff hits home. I mean, this is all, I mean, this is like tools for existence, I say. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the workplace, it shows up like, I don't have time for this conversation with one of your executive team who's trying to figure something out or want to make sure they're aligned and you just don't want to bother with it. You got too much on your, I mean, what are you aiming at, man? Yeah. Yeah. I keep, for me, when I've, when I've played in the corporate space and worked for larger companies, you know, I could catch myself a lot of times where my concern was how I looked. Yeah. Not yeah. results. So when yeah. there was a breakdown, when something didn't hit, didn't work, I, my concern was to make sure that everybody knew I did my job by golly. Yeah. I have that t-shirt. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, this is great. Yeah. Excited for the next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Some ownership. We're set up for ownership. Let's let's sign our names. Sign uh, our thanks, names. thanks so much for the conversation, gentlemen. This has been fantastic. Thank you, Chad. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for hosting a robust conversation. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Yep. Good to be here. Love y'all. Talk soon. All right. Bye bye.
Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.